What's up, y'all? Got a guitar in my hands. I'm ready to go. Kind of in a shred mood, actually, but I'll explain that in a second. But today, Tascam is bringing us Scott Ian. And this is a bonus episode because usually it's a playing episode. You know, the whole thing about No Guitar Is Safe is we play guitar with the guitar hero. But this is a conversation that I'm bringing you that was too good to pass up, an in-person face-to-face with Scott Ian. And he is holding a guitar, but it's not really plugged in, so that doesn't count. So that's why this is a bonus episode, conversation with one of the founding members of Anthrax, Scott Ian. Super psyched. Thank you, Tascam. Couldn't have done it without you. Be sure to check out Tascam's new Mixcast 4. It's a really awesome streaming station, podcast workstation, whatever you like to do, recording four people at once. It's got dual XLR quarter-inch input so you can plug either an instrument line in or a microphone or a drum machine or whatever, or guitar plugins or effects. Easy plug and play, man. You just pull this thing out of the box, plug in, and you're recording in minutes. Record directly to an SD card or to your favorite software on your computer. You can even record multi-track files onto the SD card for editing later. It's got built-in effects, you know, EQ, compression, reverb, so you can add those to your inputs. You can either record as kind of a multi-track or just go live and stream it straight to the web or wherever you are going with your live performance, audio, or podcast. Very cool. You can even have people call in on their phone and use uh, Bluetooth or the USB, whatever you like. There's different channels to get that phone call straight in or bring in streaming music if you want, whatever. Play your guitar along with Spotify or something. Super cool, lightweight, portable, Mixcast 4 goes anywhere you go. Easy to carry around. So you can record and stream on the fly. Very cool. Thank you, Tascam and the Mixcast 4 for bringing us Scott Ian and John Romanowski today. And this was kind of an adventure, which I love. You know, being in LA and Hollywood, there was a big secret press event for this guitar that I'm holding in my hands. The guitar that just makes you want to shred. Trying to shred, trying to shred, folks. It's this new Jackson American Series Soloist, which was just released today, this Wednesday, by Jackson. It's the first production model made in America that you can just get. You don't have to custom order it or wait for it or anything. These will be at your retailer in four different colors. Very cool. I'm just running it through my studio monitors here, but uh, yeah, we're gonna meet Scott Ian over at this event that was put on by Jackson in Hollywood. It was really fun. There were lots of great restaurants involved and Brandon Ellis played. He was great too. I definitely wanna have him on the show one of these days soon. But to sit down with Scott face-to-face and ask him about his love of Jackson guitars, this new Jackson guitar, and also just playing insane metal shows and hear what he has to say about all those topics was really great. It's a quick 15-minute bonus episode. Again, this is normally a playing podcast, as you know, so all you have to do is go back to last week with Yasmin Williams, who is just brilliant playing her solo acoustic guitar pieces, or go back to Errol Cooney, me and Errol jamming on all the 
Stevie Wonder songs and Janet Jackson, everything that he plays professionally for a living with those artists. Or Jim Peterick playing, you know, man, he wrote all those songs with 38 Special and Survivor and Eye of the Tiger and all that stuff. So if you're new to the show, that's what it's normally about. But could not resist having a Q&A with Mr. Scott Ian at Fender's super cool event. I call it Fender because they're the parent company of Jackson, but Jackson really is a solo company within Fender, which has got this giant factory in Corona where the new Jackson factory is, and they build these beautiful guitars. A lot of fun and just backed off the volume there. Kind of like that little progression. Too much fun. And they brought in journalists from all over the world, really. Well, you know, Europe and across America. It was a fun hang for us guitar geeks. And it was nice to meet Brandon Ellis and Scott Ian. And also, I put up a full YouTube video on my Jude Gold channel. That's me, Jude Gold. Hi, everybody. That is with both Scott Ian in this interview and also John Romanowski, who's one of the VPs of Charvel Jackson. And he tells you on this video all the technical details about the guitar, everything from the Duncan pickups to the glow-in-the-dark fret inlays to the uh, three-piece maple through the body neck with graphite inserts for extra strength, all that stuff, the 6,100 frets, if you're curious about the guitar. Thanks again for listening to No Guitar Is Safe, episode 156. And thanks to Tascam and the new Mixcast 4 for bringing us Scott Ian today. And you know what? As a bonus, I'm going to put the John Romanowski interview after the Scott Ian one. So if you're really curious about this guitar... Sorry, can't help myself. Then you can stick around for after the Scott Scott Ian interview, which is about... 15 minutes. And then after that, we got 10 minutes with John Romanowski telling you all about the guitar. Enjoy. Keep it alive to you. 95 people. Let's fire up the copter and go across town to Hollywood. Hang out with Scott Ian. I'm holding the uh, American series soloist from Jackson Guitars in what I like to call Hulk smash green, but I think there might be some copyright issues if they actually tried to call it that. But, uh, yeah, um, this is my favorite of the four colors that are available right now. There's just something about this green satin finish that um, it just pops for me. Love it. And the, the satin finish on the neck feels great, too. It's, it makes a fast neck even faster. So uh, tell us what you like about the Jackson soloist in general and the new soloist in particular, like feature by feature. Can you show us what you like? I mean, uh, when I, growing up and when I first started playing in the 70s, I, I was always a Strat guy. That was my favorite shape. And uh, so when I discovered these in the early 80s, I uh, just naturally gravitated towards it because it looked like a Strat, but it had a humbucker in it. Because, like, as a kid, I would have a Strat, and I'd see Glenn Tipton from Judas Priest with his Strat with humbuckers, and I'd be like, how did he get that? And I'd bring my Strat down to the guitar shop in New York City and say, I want to put humbuckers in mine, like the guy from Judas Priest. And he'd say, yeah, I'll 
it'll cost you $500 to route it out. I'm like, oh. He's like, yeah, it's like a custom thing. And so then all of a sudden, these things show up in my life in the early 80s. And they were just built for what there was the right tool at the right time. Um, and these, uh, these new production models, these USA production models, which first the fact that a company 40 years into uh, doing business and they're like bigger than ever and the brand's getting bigger than ever and Fender's really got so much confidence in the brand to actually finally launch a USA production series. I, you know, it just for me it just makes me feel great because obviously I've been a, a big fan of Jackson Guitars f- for 40 years. Um, yeah, it's very uh, reminiscent of soloists that I still have from you know, the mid-80s, except I would say the neck's even faster. Definitely a f- faster neck. Uh, other than that, really, it's a very similar to what I've been used to playing for so long. Um, I know that I could pull one of these right out of the case and literally, well, my tech would never let me do it, but I could literally plug this in and play a show with it without having even, like, checked it first i know it's going to absolutely work and another thing about about these guitars because i had uh they gave me the white one uh a few months ago when they like one of the first ones in so i could have my hands on it because i had to do some uh, video for it and uh first thing i noticed and it's, it happens with all my favorite guitars as soon as i started playing it it makes me feel like i'm a better guitar player than i actually am there's like this cheat, this elevation thing that happens when you pick up. You know, you just feel it and you're like, God, it's so easy to play. And I'm moving around so well on the neck. And it's like, wow, this makes me a better, like you f- actually feel like you're playing better than you did like the day before. And uh, that's what these have been doing for me. Now you're kind of like the Malcolm Young of, you know, thrash metal. Thank you. Um, but so it's kind of almost a little irony that you're, into the soloist guitar, and you know, how, how does it work for you as a rhythm player mostly? What do you mean? Obviously, soloists are geared a lot towards people who. Play it's funny, and I know, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know what I know what soloist means, but I always think of it as a different way. I always think of soloist in that it's my, it's I'm, it's what's the word I'm looking for. I'm standing here, I'm wearing a guitar, I'm playing, I'm, it's a solo gig, it's just me. When I think of soloists, I don't think of this. I just think of me and my guitar, right? That's what I think of. Um, But you know, I mean, look, I've got plenty of these that have one pickup in them and one knob, which is, you know, uh, the the minimal thing, much like Malcolm, because that's all I need is a, a bridge pickup, sometimes a whammy. One volume control. I even had built a few years back. I had a soloist built with no volume control, just a pickup and on, and uh, let, hopefully the noise gate does its job. But uh, it sound even a little clearer. Yeah, it's, it was great. It's a great sounding guitar. So yeah, I mean, you know, um, I never thought of it as soloist in that way. It just for me, I was like I said, I was always a strat guy. Something about this shape makes me feel good looking at it and uh just one thing that needs to be said that i I know i haven't said today at all is one of my biggest pet peeves about uh guitars is the headstock shape and uh, i 
up until I saw Jackson guitars, to me, there were only two good headstock shapes, Fender and Gibson. And, and when I say Fender, I didn't even like the Tele headstock. I still don't like it. I only like the big Strat headstock. And uh, Jackson comes along and came out with, who, who knew at the time that it was going to become the headstock of heavy metal? You know, the pointy guitars thing. But, uh, I mean, that headstock is just, that's a killer headstock. Fantastic. Good point. How do you run your Jacksons like on stage? What's your current live rig? How do you get your sound? What's this? Um, too much for me to explain. Uh, I could give you the basics um, from guitar, and then I know I'm I'm on a Shure wireless. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm on a Shure wireless. I've got some uh, Fortin noise gates that I run the Fortin Zool noise gate, which I'm running one in front of effects pedals and another one through the effects loop of the uh, EVH uh, 5150 uh, EL34 heads. I'm running two of those 100 watt heads into two cabinets because uh, I really don't need more cabinets. I used to think even on a big giant festival stage um, uh, I needed more cabinets, but I don't. One head into one cabinet to me is really just what sounds the best. I hate, always hated the way top cabinets in a stack sounded anyway. Um, I would always unplug them. So two heads, two cabinets. Uh, I got a couple of, uh, couple of effects running. I've got like an MXR phaser. Uh, only, only when I run my clean tone. When my tech switches me over to channel one, a couple of places in the set. So there's a phaser in there, a little bit of a delay, which I think is a one control delay. One control is a... Japanese company that uh, I use their switchers and stuff. That's the stuff I don't know too much about. My tech does all that crap. I've got the Game Changer Plasma pedal, which I love kicking in once in a while. Just, it sounds like you're running literally high voltage through your amp. Uh, what else am I running in, in my signal chain? Uh, and I have a wah. I've got a wah, the Kirk Hammett Dunlop wah out front. Yeah, perfect. And you must have bigger strings the Dario's, I imagine, but... The strings, yeah, mon mono straps. Uh, What's the gauge, though? For, for, to get the chunky sound and get the feel, you probably don't want the most feathery strings. Well, you know, I, I went through this phase. In the 80s, it was 9 to 42. That's all I ever used. But we were tuned standard all the time. Uh, when we started doing things in drop tuning, I quickly realized I didn't know. But it, you'd be in the studio with a drop D, and every time you hit a chord you're banging it out of tune so you gotta like play super light and and uh oh heavier gauge strings will fix that okay so you know then maybe start playing with a 46 or a 50 you know for drop tunings then it gets to the 90s and i started like at some point i went full malcolm and i literally was playing like 12 to 60 just like i'm gonna play the heaviest strings and i'm never gonna go out of tune and at the same time, it was turning my hands into like raw meat because those strings aren't made for thrash metal. And also, the sound wasn't as good. The heavier, heavier string, uh, yeah, you may get some more bottom end, but a lot of the edge and the punch was lost compared to the lighter strings. So at some point I realized, not only am I physically hurting myself playing on these things, it doesn't, the tone's not as good. And at some point, I kind of settled on 
a happy medium for me was 10 to 50, and I think I used that for a really long time. And then just not too long ago, it was actually two years ago, so 2020, uh, I got asked to be in Mr. Bungle and play on the new Mr. Bungle album, and uh, it was very much uh, a record where they wanted my exact tone, like from 85, 86. So I had my same roads from then, and uh, my Marshall and my TC Electronic Booster Distortion, and I put 9 to 42 back on the guitar and uh, completely like recreated that tone, and it was the exact sound, and that's, that's the, pretty much the tone I was playing with on the Mr. Bungle record. And I, I love those 9 to 42s, but I do play very, I have a very heavy right hand, and especially if I'm, Anything that's, you know, where I'm not having to pick like this or I'm not just down picking. If I'm playing chords, I'm, I'm playing chords. I dig in. So, you know, I don't want it to sound wow all night long. I don't want to be banging E chords out of tune. So uh, 10 to 50 is generally pretty safe for me where I'm not going to sound like I'm out of tune. Do you use a small pick or a big pick or just like that? Cool, man. The Adario, like, 88s. Matches the guitar perfectly. I know, I just noticed that before. <laughs> now, you play some, some of the wildest crowds that any of us could ever imagine playing for. Can you think of any, like, just over-the-top spinal tap kind of moments that even in that scenario, some shit happened that was so crazy or so funny on stage at a concert or something, or, or even backstage, or I, I don't know. What, what are some highlights of crazy guitar moments? Nothing. I could tell you the weirdest thing I ever saw on stage when we played um, Castle Donington Festival in 87. It was the first time we ever played a, an outdoor festival. It was in England. And uh, 80,000 people are going to be there. And uh, we had heard about, you know, Donningtons of years past before that where people people come to the show and they drink they fill like these two liter bottles with their drink of choice and when they're finished with it now it's empty so then they have something to pee in and then they throw the bottles of pee eventually at the stage when they're full this is worse than that this is uh we luckily didn't get any pee bottles thrown at us um that they i guess maybe that was more if they don't like you at some point during the show there was a pig's head on the stage and uh like a pig's head, like a fucking head, right? And uh, I thought about it after the fact, like, all right, like the commitment that it took for somebody, first of all, they had to sneak that thing in, right? They had to carry this thing around with them. <laughs> and then it's not like it's the stage is just right there. I mean, that, this thing looked like it had some weight to it. So how the hell did they get it? Even if they were right in the front, from that barricade to the stage was just like really, really high. You know, it would have taken like a pro baseball player to be able to make this throw. Yeah, and or they had some type of catapult going on or like, I still think about it to this day. A catapult would be pretty metal, but still. How the pig's head ended up on, on stage. And so, and I've talked about it in interviews before, and I said, if anyone ever reads this or hears this and they know who did that, you know, nobody's ever contacted me. I don't know that anyone wants to take credit. <laughs> I would take credit if I did it. It's like a cat. They bring you an offering. Yes. yes. I don't want that. 
But uh, what what separates a you know typically good Anthrax show from one of your fucking just great shows? What like what musically or sound wise or crowd wise? What what makes a difference in just a transcendent show? What what would that be like? I mean, for me, it's uh, I'm very much in a zone when I get on stage. There's not much that um, penetrates except for the crowd. Like, I, I'm not one to be too bothered by technical issues, of course, unless it's my guitar isn't on. But if, if the monitors or something is weird or whatever, I, I, all I need is a snare drum. If, if I could keep time, if I could play in time, and that's all I need, literally, if I just have Charlie's snare, I, I could do my show. Even if I can't hear the guitar, I, I, I could still... It wouldn't be easy, but I could still do it. So generally that kind of stuff I learned a long time ago. I can't let this shit bother me because if I let every technical issue bother me, I'm going to hate every show, you know. So, um, but the crowd, you know, some, some nights, I, I mean, we're lucky. Is that The type of music we play, I feel like it's the best audiences in the world because they're the craziest, they're the loudest, they're the most physical. Uh, and I don't mean just anthrax, but the tight our genre your, the whole genre uh, you know it's just an amaz- amazingly passionate audience and um, we're very lucky to have that in front of us so even even the nicest crowd at a metal show is still for most other genres of music people would be like oh my god you know so we've set, the bar is already here and then, you know, you play in South America or you play in Glasgow or you, you, know, you play in Italy or you play in Athens or you play in Melbourne, Australia or you play in Osaka or I'm just naming all, you play in Chicago or I'm just naming off a bunch of cities that over the years have just generally things are just above and beyond what, like just unbelievable especially South America. Talk to any metal band, they will tell you it's the best crowd in the world. Everything. Singing, not only the words to your songs, but singing the guitar solos, and singing the melodies, and singing, and the physicality, and the mosh pits, and the everything. The intensity of it, the volume. They're louder than the band. Uh, you know, the, the cliche, you know, come on, louder. It's like, no... I can't hear anything. I can only hear them. And they're not in time. <laughs> How many Jacksons do you bring on the road? Like, how this coming up? And I wish I could be like Rick Nielsen and have like 50 guitars with me, but um, my tech would kill me. <laughs> uh, I'll bring seven, probably. I think seven. And mainly because it's just tunings. There's three different tunings in the set. So I like to have a main and a backup for each tuning, and then one dedicated to the dressing room for warming up. What are those tunings? Uh, standard E-flat uh, and E-flat with drop C-sharp. Right, and then last question. Any, chance, any plans for the 14-fret new soloist? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> yeah, I still have that one. Um, yeah, um, and you know, just a little aside on that, you know, people are always like, you know, Oh yeah, that's that's funny because you don't play solos, you'd never use it. But 
I used that fretless section on Bring the Noise. I'm playing boop. I'm just sliding from here. I'm sliding up on this. Did you record that on that guitar? Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's absolutely functional. You're getting like some uh, Terminator X sound. Exactly. I was years before Tom Morello. I'm kidding. <laughs> True right there. Well, thanks for talking. That was really, that was great. Thanks, Thank God. This, this is our new Soloist SL3 with, from our American series uh, in Riviera Blue. This is the SL3 that's part of the American series. Uh, it's one of four colors, so we have Riviera Blue, we have a Satin Slime Green, a Gloss Black, and a Platinum Pearl, which is a, a white with a pearl essence in it. Um, a couple things about this guitar, right? So it's a Soloist, so it's through neck construction, right? Um, this is actually a three-piece uh, maple through neck construction guitar. Uh, ebony fingerboard. Got to have ebony fingerboard on it. Uh, jumbo frets. Luminlay side dots, right? A uh, couple Luminlay, Luminlay side dots. So the lights go out, right? You know exactly where you are. You don't get lost. You don't hit the wrong notes. You don't get fired from your band. Um, we're using Seaboard uh, Open Pickups. So JB uh, in the uh, bridge position and flat strat in the neck and middle position. Floyd Rose 1500 series bridge with stainless steel elements here. So, you know, these are the type of elements that typically corrode over time, but since they're stainless steel, they'll last forever. Five-way selector switch, uh, offset volume. So, you know, if you're a legato player, you can kind of do this, but if you're an ultimate picking type of person, you don't turn yourself off. Um, one feature that we're particularly proud of, um, there's actually two of them out here. One is the Allen wrench holder on the back. I love that that's standard. Which is like, you know, whenever you break a string on these things, it's like you're always looking around for the Allen wrench, but now you can just pull it out of here, unscrew it, you're off, you're ready to go. We're also using these low-profile Goto tuners, but they're also locking tuners, which kind of seems like an oxymoron because you have this locking nut. But if you need to change a string, put the string in, you lock this in and it holds it, and then you can wind it up real quick, tune it up really quick, and you're off and running. Lock it back up, put your Allen wrench back, you're good to go. And then the other thing that's particularly cool is the uh, truss rod adjustment here is at the butt of the neck. So, you know, traditionally you'd have it up here, you'd have to cover off and do all this stuff. Here you can just take one of the Allen wrenches, put it in there, adjust your neck really quick, which is a feature that came at the, um, the request of a, a fair amount of guitar techs that we've interacted with over the years. They're like, you guys have got to figure out a quicker way to do this. So we built that into this guitar as well too. So a real kind of utilitarian workhorse of a guitar. Um, great tone, great feel, great playability, great aesthetic, hits on all three points. Is that a new type of mother of pearl sharp teeth? No, it's just, uh, well, <laughs> the direction's different. We inverted this. Um, you know, typically it's the other way around. We sort of turn it upside down. And we did that just so you could visually recognize the guitar on a wall somewhere. You'd know that this was an American series guitar as opposed to, say, a custom shop or a USA Select or something from a Pro or X series or something like that. Tell me about the frets. Uh, yeah, so these are 6100, um, but they're nickel. They're not stainless steel. We elected to go with nickel because we just felt that this was a, a warmer... Uh, it has a warmer sound to it, uh, but yeah, 6100, uh, nickel frets, jumbo frets, so yeah, they're tall and they're kind of wide, which is, you know, perfect for, you know, this type of thing. Um, and then the neck itself, right, so we're using our speed neck back shape, so it's like 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77, 0.77,
you know, at the third fret, 0.815 at the, at the 12th. Soft D with rolled fingerboard edges. So it's pretty svelte, um, but there's enough mass there and meat to kind of support your hand. Um, so it's not like anorexically thin, not super thin, but it's really, really comfortable. The rolled edges allows you if you, you know, if you play with your thumb over the top or if you play more like a classical player, you've got the support, but it feels really comfortable. And, you know, that was one of the, the key things, you know, if you want to play for a long time, you want the guitar to be pretty light and you want the neck to provide support and facilitate, you know, the fact, you know, speedy runs or speedy rips or whatever, which, you know, the folks that kind of gravitate to these type of guitars typically end up, you know, doing on these type of things. And kind of a D shape, would you say? Softy. You know, yeah, I mean, I don't know what kind of what kind of letter is that? It's not, I guess that's a U and that's a C, so it's yeah, kind of a soft D type of shape. Um, yeah. It feels great. Now tell us about the production story. This is... So, the idea initially came from Andy Mooney, our CEO, right? Um, we, we, Jackson's been pretty fortunate over the last, say, seven or eight years. It's been on a pretty big growth tear. And, um, and you know, this is compound annual growth. I won't disclose any particular numbers, but it was, it's pretty impressive. And it was enough to get, you know, the attention of the executive team. And so... There was an initiative, they're like, look, over the next three to five years, we want to really invest in here. Can you put a plan together to see what, you know, how big is big? And we did. And um, it was right around COVID hit, so things kind of got put on ice, but then we came back to revisit it. And, you know, Andy was like, you know, we should really think about a mass-produced American guitar. Because we do American production, but it's made to order. It's not mass-produced. I think a lot of people think it is, but it's not. We put some, it is, well, it's a, it's, it's a totally custom shop. I mean, we don't build it until we get an order. So that was like the one missing element here. And for an American brand like Jackson, I think a lot of people would be like, well, that's sort of a no-brainer. Well, of course you should do this. Why haven't you done this? Um, so Andy's like, yeah, I think we need to go in that direction. You guys put a plan together. Let's get together and talk in like, you know, six or seven weeks. So we did. Looked at the plan. He said, excellent. Green light. Go. So that started fall of 2020. It's now beginning of summer 2022. So just under 20 some odd months we've gone from like ideation to a physical we're in mass production type of thing which is super super fast particularly you know as we were coming out of covid which you know it's strained supply chains and you guys see the news you know about that so the fact that our ops team was able to work under those kind of that kind of an environment and do what they've been doing is is a testament to you know their abilities for sure um so yeah i mean this is a, a really big thing jackson has really never had a mass-produced line of guitars before. They've always made American good guitars, and they were typically, you know, variations of, of a theme or, you know, they were one-offs, that type of a thing. So this is a really sort of a new thing for the brand itself. And, uh, yeah, it'll be really, I think people will be pleasantly surprised when they see the guitars and they see what we roll out, you know, in the coming months and beyond. So tell me about Jackson's corner of the uh, giant Fender factory in Corona. How much do you share? <laughs> How much of it is independent or? Uh, it is, oh, it's completely, it's completely um, compartmented. So the, I mean, the only thing we should share are the materials, the wood, and even, even that, there's materials and certain like woods and things that we use that is different than what the Fender uses. Um, but none of the things that we do in production are built elsewhere. Everything is done in that one particular cell, and then they move it into the paint area. And it's sort of a work in progress. Um, they're renovating that entire area. We're going to be in a three-building campus. Uh, so that will be sort of its own self-contained you know, environment, if you will. 
So there isn't any, there isn't, um, it's all dedicated machinery, dedicated staff, dedicated paint. So we don't, we don't get any of those efficiencies or, or it's a, because it's a totally different thing. It's, you know. Um, Separate company within the company. Yeah, to some extent, yeah. Uh, I think what we, you know, what we do, we benefit from is from the technical expertise. We've got amazing engineers on site. Um, there are some people that have come from that fender environment into this environment because of their expertise, right? Um, so, and that type of, you know, that, that knowledge exchange or whatever is, um, is pretty important. Yeah, yes, the guitars are different, and yes, there are nuances that each brand has that need to be respected and, and obviously reflected in the guitars, and they go to great lengths to do that. I don't want to, we we're not fenderizing anything by any stretch of the imagination, um, but um, there are some skill sets that have been learned on the other side that we can apply here and enhance, and can really benefit the project overall long term. You know? And where is the new American Series Soloist going to be available? Well, um, I mean, authorized Jackson retailers. So, um, you know, go to your favorite music store who carries Jackson, is authorized to carry Jackson, and you will undoubtedly find one of those there. Did you tell me the exact pickup names? From so, yeah, Seymour Duncan JB pickup, right? And then we've got the flat strats in the middle and um, neck position. And if you actually look at the pole pieces, they're flush with the um, with the covers themselves because the fingerboard is a compound radius fingerboard. It's 12 inches here, gets flat here, so we can't have these sticking up proudly. They've got to be sort of recessed in order to compensate for the, the fingerboard. 16, yeah, total 16. It's about 16. Yeah, so you know you can do really wide bends or if you want to do some legato stuff. It's easy to do type of thing. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. Thank you, Mr. Gold. It was good to see you, sir. No, the time is safe.